Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Right, we have just had a fantastic week of prayer, haven't we? Who's enjoyed praying this week? Do you feel like you've prayed more? Have your prayer muscles been strengthened? Hopefully. We had a wonderful half night of prayer on Friday. I know some of you couldn't come and you were praying at home and that's great. But for those who came, it was really superb, wasn't it? Yeah, let's have a big yes. There was a lot of, there was a lot of us there coming and going and it was really fantastic. Now I've asked Sean, who really doesn't want to do this, but can you, ask, can you give Sean a big hand? Because he is going to come up. Come on, Sean. At the end of the night on Friday, Sean was just glowing with God and uh, he didn't want to do this at all. So please, you know, give him lots of smiley faces because he, he does want to do it really, but he obviously doesn't want to. So I said I'd ask him some questions. So Sean, have you been to a prayer meeting before? No, I haven't. Okay. So what made you come along on Friday to a half night of prayer? That's like really throwing yourself in. Yeah. Yeah. Just been psyching myself for all week because it's normally work that keeps me away from these meetings. So being a Friday night and the time I was able to make it. Fantastic. And what did you think of it? I was um, blown away. From the moment I walked in the door up there, the Lord's presence, I can't explain it. My legs went, just, just by standing. T- <laughs> this is about 40 minutes after the, it had started, about 20 to 9 I got here. and That's it. I, I was... Um, I was with the Lord and watching everyone, the prayers, the, the hymns. It was truly amazing. Never experienced anything like that before. And I'm here every sun, most Sundays, but that was a completely different experience. So would you encourage other people to come along? Oh, definitely, please. If you've got the chance, try it. Come. You'll, you'll want to keep coming. It, you will. And what's happened since Friday, Sean? <laughs> um, <laughs> Friday. <laughs> Um, in case any of you have been a bit lost, the Lord hasn't been with you, so you've been looking for him. Um, it's because he's been with me all the time. <laughs> he's at my side all the time. We're having good one-to-ones, the two of us. It's great. So, so sorry for any of you. You get your turn. Thank you, Sean. Give him a huge hand. It's a big thing to come up here and share your heart like that, but Sean was... I just really wanted to encourage Sean to share with you because... Um, what he experienced, we want all of you to experience. And it was such a wonderful evening. And you might think, gosh, half night, that's a long time. But when we do it next term, um, it'll be great to see even more of you. And it was just so lovely to see Sean completely just immersed in the presence of God and still is. So yes, thank you, Sean, for doing that for me. And Eileen for supporting you. (laughs) Eileen had the same testimony, but she was refusing to come up. But she, she stood with him in her heart, didn't you, Eileen? And here is Simon. Thank you. Thank you. I'm quite happy for testimony to go on all morning. It's fantastic to hear what God is doing. It's really, really incredible. I had a viv- really vivid dream this morning, and uh, I, couldn't, I was telling Keith on the way in the car, I couldn't quite make out what it meant, but God spoke to me um, in the worship about it. it was, um, I was at Riverside, but the whole front of the building was missing. It was, like, um, it was just like open to the, the town and the sea, and there's lots of people milling around. And um, I was with some friends who come from Birmingham, and they were sort of hungry for more of God. They were... They were conveying to me there was a hunger in them. And then suddenly Keely appears, this, this plate and this beautifully handmade fruitcake. 
Now, for someone who is in a sort of semi-fast, you know, you can see what's happening here, can't you? You know, I'm dreaming of fruitcake. And, um, and uh, she, I said, where did you get that from in the dream? He said, well, we're, we're making it. In fact, I think she said, Megan's made it. It's homemade. It's beautiful. Look at it. It's moist. It's gorgeous. She doesn't even like fruitcake. And... Um, <laughs> And, uh, and then suddenly, these friends from Birmingham, they had plates and they had fruitcake. I was like, well, where's my fruitcake? Where's my fruitcake? And suddenly, there was more fruitcake. And I just felt the Lord say in the worship, there's fresh bread in the house. There's fresh food in the house for everyone. You know, there's this beautiful homemade uh, nourishment that's here at Riverside. And I think God said, with the front of the building missing, it's so accessible. It's so accessible. You know, imagine if the, if the front of the building was removed and we were just open to the town, open to the communities, open to our neighbours. And there was this beautiful smell of, of homemade cooking that was taking place. And I think it was just significant, the Lord's presence. And I think he was saying to this morning, if you're, if you're hungry, there's fresh bread in the house, there's fresh food in the house for you today. If your friends are hungry, if your neighbours are hungry, there's a place of nourishment in the Lord here because his presence is increasing. Uh, he wants to nourish us. He wants to give us confidence in our authority to go forth and to, and to share what we have. You know, the gospel you carry isn't just a dry series of mes- a, a dry message or a series of rules or you go to church on a Sunday and you pray, remember to read your Bible. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God is near. He's near to each one of us and he is love and he does come for us and he does love us and he does whatever we do. We can't overturn the great love that God has for us. And so I want to encourage you this morning. We prayed... This morning, uh, before the service, like we've been doing um, over the recent weeks, and God's presence just fell in the room. We had to leave Alan on the floor at 25 past 10. I said, oh, Alan, I'm sorry, I've got to go. The service is starting. So we left him, laid out on the floor in room four, because the presence of God just fell in the room as we were praying. There's an expectancy. There's an expectancy here on, on Friday night. We, weren't, we don't know how to do prayer well. So we just turned up and said, God, would you use this time? And he did. And there was a beautiful sweetness of his presence and I've led some prayer meetings in the past that have been really hard work. You know, you look at your watch, you're like, 20 minutes has gone? Oh, my goodness. 30 minutes has gone? And, you, and it's like, you're like, oh. And then, oh, And it's like wading through treacle. But on, on Friday, there was a, 11 o'clock came in a, in a moment. And then we pushed into God in the last hour together. And so, so, yeah, just God is doing something. God is increasing his presence. As we've hungered for him, as we've positioned ourselves, as we cry out to him, He's hearing that cry, and he's coming, and his presence is coming. And he's got great plans for these coastlands. He really, really has. He really, really has. He's got great plans. There's fresh, fresh cooking, homemade cooking. God's doing something here that's of his making that he wants to offer to people. Amen? Do you feel stirred up? Good. Okay. Let's, uh, let's continue with the sermon series then. Great love. We looked last week at, um, at the fact that one John tells that God is love. If you missed that talk, you can catch it on the, uh, on the website or by podcast, uh, as always. Um, I want to ask ourselves the question today, in the words of the famous Black Eyed Peas song, where is the love? You know, where is the love? We often find ourselves, they wrote that song back in 2007, 2004, a long time ago. But, you know, the question was, where, we look around and all this stuff's going on, where is the love? Where is the love? And the answer we carry as believers in Christ is the love is always God. The love is always with God. God is love. And so we, we have that anchor, uh, that reference point in our lives as we journey through all these difficult circumstances that life brings. And if we move away from that source, if we lose sight of the source, the fact that God is love, and then we can come into a whole host of issues and problems uh, in our own lives. When we, when we lose sight of the fact that God is love, we run into all sorts of potential problems. And Jesus told a parable in Luke 15 about two sons who lost sight 
of God's love. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn me to Luke 15. And we're going to read the story. Often the story is called the, par- the, the parable of the prodigal son. Or it might be the parable of the lost son, if you've got the, uh, the NIV. So if you want to turn there with me, I'll put these words on the screen as well as we read. So Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had and set off for a distant country there, and he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything there, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he went to one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? And he said, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So, a story that many of us are familiar with, often called the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of two sons, two sons and a father. And the younger son does what we all do in life at some point. He decides that he knows best. He decides that he knows best. He can't wait for his father to die so he can get his share of what he wants. So he goes to his father and effect says, Father, I wish you were dead, but you're not. Can I have my inheritance early? He thinks he knows best. He thinks that by getting his inheritance and having freedom, then he's going to have a better, better shot at life, a better experience of life. We all at some point in our lives think we know best, don't we? doesn't matter what counsel we've received, what experience we've had, what our friends say, what the Bible tells us, at some point we go, nah, I, I think I know best. I'm going to do what I think is the best thing to do. And we set off on a course and we set off on an action that often is contrary to what's really going to bring us love and peace and security and happiness. And the son in the, in the story, the younger son, decides that independence from his father is the best way to achieve happiness. He thinks there's a whole world out there that he's missing, that he wants to go and enjoy, and somehow... Being in the father's house, that's not working for him. So he decides he wants his money and he wants to set out 
and he wants to experience it. And so we know straight off in this story that Jesus is telling us something has gone wrong in the son's view of the father. The way the son views the father has become distorted. The whole parable is a story about the father's unconditional love. Yet somehow the son has lost sight of that right at the beginning of the story. He lives in the house of a loving father, yet the son wants his father dead, he wants his money, and he wants to go and do what he wants to do. He believes that somehow his freedom is being restricted by the father. And Jesus is speaking right into the heart of the problem that many of us have, or we carry deeply. We feel somehow God restricts us from experiencing happiness. I lost count of how many people I've talked to and said, well, if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to stop doing this. I'm going to have to stop doing that. I'm going to have to stop doing this. I'm going to have to stop doing that. I mean, that is, you know, I'd rather keep doing that. Wimber's first experience of church, we said before, you know, he said, well, I gave up drugs for this. Because his experience of the church was so dry, he thought, well, in some ways, the drugs were better. So we look at the prohibition. We look at, the, you know, what is God restricting us from doing? A, I'm a bit of a Billy Joel fan. Kid, he took me to a concert once. I love Billy, Billy Joel fans. Yeah, a few of you. He wrote a song called Only the Good Die Young. And uh, these are the lyrics. They say there's a heaven for those who wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. And that's how many people see Christianity, or, they, or even some people are within Christianity. They look at people who are unrestricted by God's law or God's morals or God's what God desires, and they say, these guys have much more fun, much more freedom than we do. We live under this restriction, this, uh, this prohibition. And for some, somehow the son, the younger son, had come under that, that misguided belief that out there was freedom and out there was happiness. And so he says to his son, Dad, I wish you were dead, but you're not. I can't hang around. Give me what I want. Now, what does the, son, the father do? Well, the father has every right to tear, strip off the son and say, what? You know, after all I've done for you, after all I've given you, after all I've loved you, you want me dead? just so you have some stuff. But the father doesn't. He, he gives the son what he wants. He gives the son what he wants. You see, God will give you what you want. God will give you your heart's desire. Again, I've chatted to people who say, why doesn't God stop me? You know, why doesn't God stop me doing this stuff? Why doesn't God put a sort of, you know, chain me up or, or hold me back? I had one friend who believed he was on some sort of God elastic that would somehow keep pulling him back and he wondered how far the elastic would stretch. God is the God who loves you, but he will never control you. He won't control you. He will say, okay, if you want to do that, uh, you're, you have free will. Uh, I gave you free will at the biggest cost to my son, Jesus. So you can do what you want to do. You can walk into what you want to walk into. And so the son, even though he must have been incredibly grieved at the choice that his younger son, so the father must have been incredibly grieved at the choice the younger son was making, said to him, okay, you can have your share of your inheritance, and you can do with it what you want. You see, freedom from God doesn't create happiness. The devil will whisper in your ear that if you were free, you'd be happy. Okay? People look forward to retirement. I'm just free. I'm just, I haven't got a job. I can just play golf all day. I'll be free. I'll be free. I'll be happy. But freedom, in and of itself, doesn't create happiness. It doesn't. Freedom in God creates happiness. When we live in the freedom that God has granted us, we, we experience happiness. We're not called to be a people without boundary, without limits, or without edges. 
We're called to live in the freedom that God gives us. When Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, uh, he said this. I'll read from the message version. He says this. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and so destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you'll be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? So we experience love inside the freedom of God. We live in a culture that wants freedom everywhere. We live in a culture that values freedom of expression, freedom of choice, as one of the highest things that currently we see. We all want to be free to say what we want. We all want to be free to do what we want. We all want to be free to have what we want, when we want it. This is one of the highest values that culture currently expresses. But if our freedom isn't anchored in something bigger than ourselves, all we end up becoming is, as Paul says, consumers. We just consume, consume from each other. We consume things. We use our freedom to consume rather than to serve. And the son was just looking for freedom without any anchor in the father's love. And he went and he took his father's inheritance and he consumed it. He absolutely consumed it. He burnt through it in what the Bible says, wild living. Wild living. You see, the Father grants you and I free will because the hope in his heart is that you will turn to him. You will use your free will to turn to him. By God granting you and I free will, it's the biggest risk of love ever taken. God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give you free will. But he gave you free will so you could turn to him. That was the hope in his heart. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, The hope of God is that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him because he's not far from each one of us. That's the hope of God, that we would use our choice and our free will to reach out for God, to turn to him, to find him because his great love has expressed itself in giving you free will. And the hope of his heart is that you will use that free will to turn back to him. But at this moment in our story, the son doesn't want that. He wants to be away from the father. He wants to find freedom on his own. So he goes to a distant land. A distant land is interesting. He goes to a distant land because imagine going to a neighbor's house and saying, I've just wished my father was dead, so I've got my inheritance. <coughs> How would the neighbor feel? What would the neighbor say? So he goes to a distant land, a place where no one knows him, a place of obscurity, a place where he can hide from God. And often when we want freedom without God, we go to a distant place. We go to a place where no one knows us. It doesn't have to be a geographically far away place. It can just be a place where we're unknown, where there's no accountability. We're free to experience and do what we want. So he goes to distant land and begins to burn through his inheritance in wild living. We can only imagine what the young son gets up to. But it doesn't take long for him to effectively come to a point where he's gone through it all. He's lost it all. He's burnt through it all. You see, when we make, we make similar choices, don't we? In our heart, at some point, we all say, God, I wish you were dead. In fact, you are dead to me at this point. In this choice that I'm making, you're dead to me. 
because I want independence, I want free will, I want choice. I don't want to have to uh, look you in the eye. I don't want to have to feel your gaze upon me. We all, we all mirror these choices that the younger son makes in this story. But we have to realize that at that moment, your choice doesn't kill God's love for you. It can't change the essence of his character, his main attribute. Your choice doesn't bend God out of shape. God continues to be love. He continues to fix his gaze upon you. The scripture says you're the, ap- you're the apple of his eye. Choices don't change that. God's love is still upon you, just as it was upon Jonah, as just shared in the testimony. Didn't matter how far he fled, God's love was still fixed upon him. And Jonah, in the, in the belly of the fish, he prays a prayer, doesn't he? He says, those who cling to worth, worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. He has a moment of clarity in the stomach of a fish. You know, he, 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 he got what he wanted. He got isolation from God. He'd gone to the farthest place away from God. He was in the most hidden place from God, in the depths inside a fish, inside the stomach of a fish. And at that point, he comes to clarity and says, those who cling to, for, to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And he realized that actually God does love him. God does care for him. And when we go to a distant land and try and uh, get away from the, the gaze of God, all we're trying to do really is we're trying to find a freedom that can't be found there. It can only be found in God. And so the son, he goes through all the stuff. He squanders it all. He cashes it all in. And uh, he spends it. You see, this story is often called the prodigal son. Prodigal doesn't mean somebody who's away from God and comes back. Prodigal means wastefully reckless. Exceptionally reckless with your resources. So the son is prodigal because he throws it all away very quickly. He lavishly, recklessly, extravagantly burns through his inheritance in a prodigal way. That's why he's called the prodigal son. And so very quickly he comes to the point where there's nothing left. And then his problems get worse because there's a famine in the land and suddenly everybody's belts are being tightened and all his fair-weather friends disappear. All the people who have been around him when he had money disappear. And there's nothing left for anybody, very little left. And he's rendered down to absolutely nothing at all. And he tries to find work. And he, he finds work. And where does he find work? Feeding pigs. What's the worst thing for a Jewish boy to do? It's to be feeding pigs. There was, a, there was a Jewish phrase at the time when Jesus said this parable. It said, cursed be the man who breeds swine. So he really was at the lowest of the low. And not only was he feeding pigs, he was so hungry, he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. He was at the lowest point in his life, in his journey, in his story. And God will have to take you right down to the lowest point in the valley to really speak to you. Whether it's in the belly of a fish, whether it's feeding pigs and wanting to eat the pig food, God will take you to a low point to really get your attention. Not because he wants to punish you, not because he doesn't like you, but because that's often where we come to our senses, just like this young man did. He came to his senses. No one would give him anything, the story says. No one would give him anything. He was in a place of utter rejection, utter isolation. But he says, the father's house, there's something there for me. I can go back. I can go back to the father's house, and what I'll do is I'll go as a servant, because the servants get food. Even if I go back as a servant, I've lost my place in the father's family. I've lost the respect of my brothers. I've, I'm, I'm never going to be as I was, but at least I won't die here. At least I won't starve to death. 
So he comes to his senses and he says, I'll go back and I'll tell my father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and perhaps the father will have me back as a servant. I won't go back as a son, I'll go back as a servant. Many of us want to come into God's presence as servants and not sons and daughters because we feel that what we've done disqualifies us from being part of the family. So we come into God's house, God's presence, we carry shame, we carry guilt, we carry all the things that we feel somehow disqualify us from the Father's love. And we say, God, I'll come back to you, uh, but I'll come back as a servant, not a son or a daughter. I heard in a TV program some of the other day, she was talking about, you know, I've been invited to church, but uh, if I went into church, the font would boil. <laughs> somehow, the, the, the things that she'd done in her life would somehow, you know, God would be so angry and so upset that she turned up in church, the font would boil. And many people, that's how they see church. They see it as a place where if they come because of the sin or the things or the choices they've made. That isn't the Father's house. The Father's house is a house of love. He doesn't want us to come back as servants. He wants us to come back as sons and daughters. So the son sets out with his pre-prepared speech. And as he approaches, the father has been watching and waiting for him. The father has been looking out for him, scanning the horizon when the day he knows the son will return. And he sees the son at a distance. And he does something no self-respecting old Jewish man should do. He runs. He runs. He gathers up his robes and he runs. Probably does a dad run. <laughs> People walking past saying, why are you running? Um, but anyway, he runs. He runs to meet the son. Now you have to understand, Jesus' hearers at this point would have been like, jaws on the floor. Jaws on the floor. We've already heard a story where a son would wish his father dead just so you have an inheritance. We've heard a, they've heard a story where the Jewish boy now goes and feeds the pigs. They're like, this is just like, this is, it's like Time magazine. It's just like crazy. It's just like, you know, it's just like scandal, scandal. And now the dad runs to meet the son. Humiliation. Humiliation for a man of the father's age to run to meet the son. But yet he was, Jesus used these words, only Jesus uses to be moved in the pit of your stomach to be gutted, to be moved so powerfully that he ran to meet the son because he loved him so much, so much, and was waiting so much for his return. His love for the son was completely undiminished by the time that it expired. You know, God doesn't have, have an egg timer ticking down because you haven't said your prayers today or you haven't read your Bible today. His love isn't diminishing because you aren't putting stuff back in the meter. You aren't feeding the meter of God. It's not ticking down. God's love is completely undiminished by the, by the time that's expired while the son has been away. There's no better picture in the, in the Bible of the father's love for you and for me than the son being met by the running father. There's no better picture. And the son starts a prepared speech. Dad, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not worthy. And the father says, shut up, hug and kiss pulls him into an embrace and kisses him. Kisses his pig-stinking son. Pig-stinking son. Pulls him in tight and kisses him. And he says, bring the best robe. Bring the robe and put it on him. The robe was a, a symbol in Jesus' time of dignity and honor. Let's honor the son. Let's restore his dignity. Put the robe upon him. Put the ring on his finger. The ring was a symbol of authority and place in the family. 
Put the ring on his finger. Put the sandals on his feet. You know who didn't wear sandals? Servants. Servants wore a barefoot, went barefoot in the house. The people who wore the sandals or the shoes were the members of the family. You're not coming back as a servant. You're coming back as a son. Put the robe on, put the ring on, put the sandals on, and let's kill the fatted calf. The fatted calf wouldn't have only fed the household, it would probably fed the village. Let's have a village party. My son's come back. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's returned home. He was lost, but now he's found. At this point, we remember there's a second son. The second son's the older son. He's out in the garden, out in the fields, and he hears the commotion, and he asks somebody, what's going on? And I say, well, you know, the, the younger son's come back, and the father's thrown a party for him. You can hear the celebration. It's amazing. And the, far, and, the, and the elder son is just consumed with anger. He said, the scripture says he's infuriated. He's utterly infuriated. And so he brings further disgrace to the father by not going into the party. As the older son, he would have a place to do, things to do in that sort of situation, social situation. He should have been there helping the father, but he wasn't. He was out in the fields. He refused to go in. And so he's bringing further disgrace and humiliation to the father. But the father goes out to him. And he doesn't rip, strip off him. He doesn't say, get in there now. Do what you're supposed to do. He says, you know, so what's going on? Why And the older son says, look. Doesn't even address him as father. Look. What have you done? I've been here all this time serving you faithfully. Never put a foot wrong. Doing anything you've asked me to do. And you won't even give me a goat to hang out with my friends with to party with my friends. And he goes and spends all your money with prostitutes, comes back, and you kill the fatty calf. Well, I've just had enough. I'm sick of it. I'm not coming in. Incredibly frustrated. Again, the father responds incredibly gently. My son. My son. The father wants sons and daughters, not servants not people who go through religious acts to try and gain his love. He doesn't want sons who have gone far away and want to return as servants. He doesn't want sons who live close by, who act like <coughs> servants. He wants sons who can experience his love. You see, at some point, both sons had lost sight of the father's love. One saw the father as somehow someone who prohibited and restricted him and therefore he needed to flee to find freedom and happiness. And the other son, well, he just saw the father's ungrateful, a taskmaster, who didn't see what he did, didn't appreciate what he did. And so that resentment made him bitter, and he withdrew into himself. He didn't withdraw to a foreign land, he withdrew into himself. But both of these young men had lost sight of the love of the father, one far away and one in the backyard. And it can happen for each of us anywhere. It can happen in a distant land, it can happen right in God's backyard, but we can lose sight of the love of the Father. Neither view of the Father was true. The Father is the only person to come out of this story blameless. Amen? He's the only one who comes out of this story blameless with his character intact. Both sons give us a perspective on where we can lose sight of the Father. We can lose sight of where the love is. So the bottom line, guys, is your understanding of God's love, knowing where the love is, will determine the course of your life and the way you live your life and the choices that you make. All will be governed by your understanding of the Father's love. 
If your view of God's love is distorted, then your life will be distorted to mirror that. You will be bent out of shape by the things that you think you need to do to find love or to, to gain love or to make yourself worthy of love. We've got a culture that predominantly says, God, you're dead. You're irrelevant. You're untrue. Just give us what we want. We want to just, we just want it. We want it now. We want to be able to consume it and use it for our freedom and do whatever we want to do. But just like in the story, our culture is going into severe famine. Severe famine in the land. And we are surrounded by people who are hungry and desperate for more than the world can possibly offer them this time. And we need to be a people who are pointing to the Father's love, pointing to the Father's house. So the answer to where is the love is always the same. The love is always with the Father. That never changes. You know, you'll be faced with so many decisions this week, so many choices. To know where the love of the Father is is the most important thing that you can carry from this place today. That unconditional, utterly accepting love is always with the Father for you. No matter what you face this week, the love of the Father is with you. So, I want to ask you a question now. Where's your North Star this week? What do you navigate from? What do you use as a reference point when you make decisions and choices? When you're faced with things this week, you know, what's your navigation point? Do you know where the love is? I, um, I bought a fantastic thing this week. This is called the Hills Cordomatic. Yeah, anybody have one of these? I found this in a charity shop. I think it's about a thousand years old. But I went online and this guy, I think he's an Australian, he's been making these for decades. Okay? This is the Hills Cordomatic. Any idea where it is? Anybody have one of these? Okay. I need a, I need a, a volunteer to help me here. So who's going to come and help me? Anybody brave enough? Okay. okay. Your job is to be God, okay? So you need to come stand here. You stand by the cross, okay? And you, you hold one end of that. You hold that for me, okay? The Hills Quartermatic is an extendable washing line. <laughs> Not any old washing line. A deluxe extendable washing line. But I want you to imagine that Maggie is God and I'm me, and I'm venturing out this week into my life. And I've faced with all sorts of people. Hello, nice to see you. Hello, nice to see you. Are you going to give me trouble? You give me... Yes, you are. Okay, right. Okay. I'm going to venture out. Hi, nice to see you. And I'm going to venture out into 40 feet of retractable line um, into my life this week. And what I'm hoping, good morning, and what I'm hoping through all this is that I'm going to remain anchored to the love of God. Because I can face anything that you guys throw at me, anything you throw at me, if I've got a reference point. If I know my way back to the Father's house, if I let go of this, then I'm a bit lost. Because I've got no point of reference out here with all you difficult people, all you people giving me a hard time, all you people are saying things about me that aren't true. I've lost my point of reference. I don't know my way back to the Father's house. But if I hang on to the love of God, I can do whatever I need to do. Thank you, Maggie, for star. You're welcome. See, what's your North Star? What's your North Star when you're faced with your decisions this week, when your choices? Both sons, they lost sight of the father's love and it bent them out of shape. It pushed them to do things and say things and act in ways that were completely dishonouring to the father's love. You always need to know your way 
back to the Father's house. You need to have things in your life, like the Hills Quartermatic, that will connect you into the love of God. It'll be different for each one of you. You might, you might have prayers you say. You might have places you go. You might have things that you read. You might have songs that you sing. You might have little things that you do that help you, like little breadcrumbs, take you back to the love of God, even when things are really, really difficult. Things that help you come to your senses and remember, where is the love of God? Where is it? It's with the Father. It's with the Father. It says in uh, 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You see, the real prodigal in this story is the Father. Amen? Because it's the Father who lavishes the love. It's the Father who basically recklessly distributes his love to the sons, regardless of their attitude towards him. It's the Father who is the prodigal. He's the lavish, wasteful God of love who pours out his love on you and on me, regardless of how we try to bat it off or not receive it or say things that hurt are hurtful. He still is the God of lavish love. Lavish love. This is the story that Jesus was telling. Jesus told this story, you see, in the context, the Pharisees said, this is the man, if you can read this in the start of chapter 15 in Luke, this is the man who eats with sinners. He eats with sinners. He's not a man of God. He's not a man who loves God. Look what he's doing. He's getting down and dirty with sinners. Does he know who these people are? They're going to contaminate him. And so Jesus told a story that would help them understand what the heart of God really is. He didn't tell them off. He didn't give them a lot of rules. He said, let me tell you a story about a father, a a prodigal father, who was so lavish with his love. Now, I would like to think in this story that the younger son goes out to the older son and says, look, you know, I did mess up. It was so tough on you, what I did. You've been here working hard, but please, let's not lose sight of who dad is. Let's not lose sight of, of how much our, our father loves us. Let's go in and celebrate together the love. I like to think that's how the story ends, but Jesus doesn't give us that Hollywood ending. He just leaves the story where it is. The party is happening Father and younger son celebrating what was lost is found. And the older son, embittered and resentful, is out in the garden listening to the party. You see, you have to enter in, guys. You have to enter into the love. You can't just listen to it. You can't just observe it. You can't commentate on it. You can't criticise it. You have to enter into it to really know what the love of God is. The love of God has been lavished on you to make you a son and a daughter of the king. And so even though we come in as servants some days and think, God, I'm just so unworthy to be here to receive your love, God says, look, let me put a robe of dignity on you. Let me put a ring on your finger that symbolizes who you are in me. Let me put sandals on your feet that symbolize you're not a servant, you're not a slave, you're a son and a daughter. Let's kill the fatty calf, let's have a party because you are home. You are lost and now you're found. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more, or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.